Welcome to All Things Tibet, a podcast hosted by Taylor and Brittany. We'll be coming to you with brand new episodes every Tuesday. If you want to tweet along as you listen, feel free to use the hashtag AllThingsTibetPod. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. This is episode 10 of All Things Tibet podcast. Holy shit, is it really? Yeah, it's our 10th episode. We made it to double digits. I'm so proud of us. Yeah. Um, And if for some reason you can't distinguish our voices yet after 10 episodes, I'm Brittany. I'm Taylor. And today we are talking about episode seven in season one called Losing It. And I was just saying to Taylor that there are a lot of Bet, Tina, and Bet and Tina scenes in this episode. A lot going on. And... This particular episode is interesting because I feel like we see a lot more Tina personally without Bet, obviously because of the nature of the episode. But I like that it was really Tina focused because we got to learn a little bit more about her mannerisms, like her interpersonal relationships with her other friends in the group and just her. And I think you probably would agree we're both pretty big Tina fans. So. Nah, I hate her. Right. <laughs> Least favorite character. Right. Put her I don't right like next. her at all. Put her right next to Kelly Wentworth. Yep. No, yeah, I agree. I think it's, especially with Tina and especially in season one, I think it's like, you get to see who she is without that, Mm -hmm. which you don't get a lot of in the first season, because, Mm -hmm. I mean, we've kind of said this before that they were talking on Pantspot about how nobody was anyone's wife on the L word, but like Tina kind of was. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, you know, with Bet going away and her staying behind, we actually got to see, okay, who is Tina without Bet and what is her relationship with all of these people when Bet's not in the picture, which I think is cool. And something that just came to my mind is if the affair had never happened, it would be interesting to see how Tina's character growth would have gone because when the affair happened, it really forced Tina to step out on her own very independently and obviously changed a lot of things. You know, there wouldn't have been any Helena, like who knows what exactly would have gone down with this, you know, with her being pregnant with Angie, not saying they wouldn't have had her, but things would have just been so different. Yeah. You know, would she have just stayed in that very like domestic role and would she still kind of just be a side character? Um, Yeah, it's a good question. I feel like maybe this is me being optimistic, Mm -hmm. but I feel like at least with the way that it ended up, I feel like even if the affair hadn't happened, it would have exploded at some point. Sure, sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, I think we've talked about that before that they would have eventually something would have happened. They would have eventually broken up for some reason or, you know, there would have been a big shifting point in their relationship, no doubt. There was just like too much culminating even before that for it not to. Yeah. And you know what I thought was interesting? I mean, we can talk about this a little bit more when we get there, but I never noticed this before, but the potential of Bet having an affair crossing Tina's mind in this episode Mm -hmm. was not something I think I ever picked up on before. I think because I was so worried about her previously when I was watching it. That I never realized, I forget when it is, but she's basically saying like, she's not picking up and they're like, call the hotel and she's not at the hotel. And like, 
Tina starts freaking out. Like, where would she go? She needs a place to sleep. And I was like, oh, Mm -hmm. oh, that doubt is already there, Mm -hmm. which is earlier than I think I've tracked that before. Yeah. And isn't it in the description of this episode? Yeah, that like Beth's commitment is tested. Yeah. And I I don't know if like, if I was brand new watching the L word now, if I read that, I would have been like, what like well and that has always confused me I've been like mm-hmm. is there a deleted scene that we right didn't see yeah yeah it, it very well could be but in this episode it's basically centered around the fact that Bet is going off to New York she's was invited by Peggy Peabody right yep to uh, tell me what she went to I don't know <laughs> well they were having like this big gallery exhibit and Peggy basically invited Bet, and she was going to have this big dinner in Bet's honor and she had invited all of these you know all of her rich friends basically including this very wealthy individual that Bet kind of wanted to convince to be on the CAC's board of directors so it was you know kind of half opening gallery night party and then the next day was going to be like bet porter night yeah okay so if if you haven't caught on yet i i this is to our listeners i rely on taylor a lot to explain the technical details of the show to me because a lot of times i don't catch it it just to be fair jennifer looked amazing this entire episode but like in that scene where she was talking about it so I do not blame you yeah yeah for sure so the start of this episode is Tina is having issues sleeping she's sitting on the couch reading the what to expect when you're expecting book and Beth comes out and she's being very sweet to her and rubbing her feet and asking her if she needs anything and just kind of amping her up because they're gonna leave for New York together that was the initial plan and um Tina asks for a Slurpee. Bet fucking steals it. Bet goes to get it, comes back, gets in this conversation with Tim, and basically drinks more than half of it, which is hilarious. <laughs> I think about that, like we don't see it, but I imagine that like Tina probably just got so sick of waiting for <laughs> Bet to come back since Bet was like, you know, talking to Tim about his breakup with Jenny that Tina probably just went to bed. Yeah. She was probably asleep when Pat got yeah. in there. Yeah. You know what else I think is cute about that scene besides everything is that I like how, like, Bet says later in the episode, Tina's 11 weeks pregnant and she's at the end of the book, if you notice. She's oh, she is. already finished the book at 11 oh my weeks. Gosh. Oh my and gosh. I just think that's A, adorable, and B, kind of speaks to that thing where Tina's like, I am going to be as like on point with this as Bet is with her work. Sure. And I don't know why I noticed that this time, but I did. And I thought it was really cute. You know, it's, it's um, one of the things that I picked up on this episode that I've not paid attention to so much in prior rewatchings or Tina's pregnancies were very different her first pregnancy, they were really focused on like this holistic approach. Now, granted, Bet actually knew about the first pregnancy from the beginning. So it was different in that regard, but 
you know, they're focusing on like, oh, I'm going to go to Guru Dev for my morning sickness and I'm going to do this. And she's so sick throughout her whole first pregnancy. And then of course we know she miscarries, but her second pregnancy, you know, she's had to step out on her own. She's independent. She's having sex 24 (laughs) seven. So it's Tina like never gets laid or hit on more than when she's pregnant in season two. Seriously. Seriously. <laughs> so it's just, it's interesting to me. I mean, having never been pregnant, I have, I've talked to many women who have said like their pregnancies have been radically different in, in certain situations, but this is a prime example of that. Tina's whole pregnancy experience from her first or second was much different. Yeah. It's interesting, too, because I always assumed that the, like, holistic, natural hippie stuff was Tina. Yeah, but it's actually, but. But now, yeah, now I'm like, oh, wait, (laughs) but she didn't do it with Angie, so it was bad? It makes sense that it's bad because you know that's the early 2000s so of course a bet is like focused on like the most up-to-date crunchy green california west hollywood approach to pregnancy you know and tina's just way more realistic yeah all i will say about that is bet your jennifer is showing yeah no kidding right i i imagine that jennifer's pregnancy with her daughter ella went a lot like tina's first pregnancy did (laughs) well I think about that reunion that we never talk about where (laughs) but one of the things you know between all the awkward was when Laurel was talking about I think it was that one maybe it was a different video I don't remember but Laurel was talking about how Jennifer would always be on set like giving Laurel advice about like natural remedies to try yep (laughs) so I'm like okay yeah it was the okay reunion that Oof, that's a rough one to get through. Yeah, it's <laughs> fine. Don't yeah. think about it. If you haven't watched it, just don't. Just stay. If you see anything about the 2011 interview reunion where Jennifer and Laurel are sitting next to each other, Kate Menig is in a, a hat. Misha's <coughs> got like long blonde hair. Just keep it moving. But so anyway, so Bet comes back with the Slurpee and she's talking to Tim yeah. on his porch. And it, Throughout the conversation, it's discovered that like more people knew about this affair that Jenny was having or suspected it. Because Tim that can't keep her fucking mouth shut. She really knows how to just like take all, like just deflate the balloon any chance she gets. <laughs> she does. Like here she is like kind of having this tender moment with Tim, supporting him. They're having this great conversation. And then all of a sudden she's like, why do you think Tina and I left? And he's like, uh, what the fuck, Ben? I'm question mark, question mark, question mark. <laughs> Honestly, I feel like, A, I actually kind of really like that scene because I feel like Tim actually had kind of a sweet friendship with at least like Bet and Tina. Oh, yeah. Um, and so it was nice to kind of see that. And especially like towards the end of the season when like Bet and Tim are both going through like like their own shit and they're sure. both just like in disasterville right but yeah it is just if my friend said that to me i would be like what the fuck is wrong with you like well, why i mean that you... would be like a friendship ender yeah and it's not like they're that close with jenny at this point that no. they feel like they owe some loyalty to her it's interesting to me that this particular group of friends 
seems to ask a lot of questions about the things that aren't as important rather than the things that are. And what I mean by that is like, no one at any point, like even really like Leisha, or I'm sorry, Alice, Dana, they don't try to pry at all when it comes to Tina and Beth. They'll ask like preemptive questions. Like remember Alice saying like, are you going to therapy today? Are you doing this? Are you doing that? But like, I don't feel like they ask them like the really hard questions that come with the relationship. Like, how are you guys navigating this pregnancy or how are you doing this? Like, and granted some of that might be that like Tina and Beth, Beth especially when Tina was pregnant the first time did a really good job of trying to like, we're the experts at this, like, you know, putting yeah. it all out there. Like they know what they're doing. Like they don't need any assistance. But then like they get all up in Alice's face about the fact that she's dating this guy who identifies as a lesbian and they have thousand questions for her. Yeah. And it's just like, sometimes I just want to shake them and be like, you are asking the wrong questions. Like you are investigating the wrong things. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I really liked Kit's response in that scene. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And she was basically like, who the fuck cares if he wants to like give up his white male privilege and be a second-class citizen like the rest of us yeah who cares well so as we continue to go along with the episode we see the bedroom scene where they're packing they're just about to leave for new york bet and tina are and tina is sick and ultimately decides not to go because she's just really not feeling well she doesn't think that she's going to make it through the plane ride and bet has another very sweet moment with her where she tells her, you know, like your health is most important. If you need anything, let me know, which of course we see there's some contradictions there because when Tina actually did need her, she was nowhere to be found and she could not be reached. So it's like, there is yet again, another example of a communication breakdown with Bet and Tina. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally echo all of that. That's, basically everything I wrote in my notes was like first of all a I just want to say shout out to Peggy Peabody for actually putting Tina's name on the invitation Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. apparently that had never happened before and I think just more reasons to love Peggy the fact that Tina is pushing herself so hard to go when she so clearly needs to stay home and rest And like the fact that it has to be bet that ultimately says you stay, Mm -hmm. I will be okay. And that was, you know, we were talking last time about bet when she's at her best versus bet when she's at her worst. And I think we saw a lot of bet at her best in this episode, Mm -hmm. because I think that moment was bet at her best saying, yes, obviously I want you there Mm -hmm. but your health is the most important thing and I want you to focus on that I'll Mm -hmm. be fine Mm -hmm. and then but you're right she does say call me if you need anything and then doesn't pick up yeah good job bet nailed it so we (laughs) we move along bet leaves for New York Tina is um just left on her own and like I said earlier we kind of see Tina more in her own independent element with her friends and then the next scene that we see is when Tina comes into the planet with Alice and what is Alice's boyfriend's name Lisa Lisa yeah you know what I love about that scene is that we find out that bet called Alice at six in the morning to be like hey will you call Tina and wake her up she told me to let you sleep until 10.30. What? 
like my question is like where did tina have to be like she is not working she's pregnant she's just leisurely making her way to the planet like let her do what she wants she doesn't need a wake-up call bed no 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 i mean i just think it's very indicative of bet's character that she's like i need someone to have eyes on tina I need someone to be responsible for her while I'm away because she can't be responsible for herself. Yeah, I need someone to watch her. Like, I'm sure her intentions were not that. Like, I'm sure she wanted no. to just make sure someone would look out for her, which they exactly they did do a really good job of looking out for her this episode. But yeah, just the kind of the way Alice said it even was interesting to me. So I would say the next scene with Tina, which is probably the best scene in, in the show, in my opinion, not in the show, but in this particular episode is when Tina has this interaction with Marcus yes. and first Marcus's girlfriend at the guru, wherever that the herbalist or wherever she is. Now, the reason why I actually really like this scene, not so much because of the details of the scene, but because it reminded me how excited I am that we are going to be meeting possibly Angie's sister, her biological sister in season two of Gen Q. But mm-hmm. not only that, like wouldn't had have what wouldn't it be just kind of a cool throwback if the mother of this sister ends up being this woman that Tina had this altercation oh my with in the lobby. Because the thing that he, that she harps in on is that what if we have kids one day? Then they're just gonna have a you know then they're just gonna have a like a sibling out in the world somewhere or whatever. So it would be pretty neat. Like, I hope that we at least get to see Marcus. Um, again, oh, yeah, me too. Because again, that would just be like a really cool, I don't know, what's the word I'm looking for? Tribute to the original series. But yeah. This is yeah, I agree. Insane. I also just really like how Marcus and Tina interact in that scene. Mm-hmm. Like, I love that he's so happy for them. Yep. Like... You know, he's not like, oh my God, I'm going to be a dad. He's like, oh my God, you guys are pregnant. That's so great. I'm so happy for you. Like, one thing that I wrote Mm -hmm. is that you really see where Angie gets her kindness. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, yes, obviously some of it is from Tina, but you really see that DNA wise, Angie was made by two very kind individuals. Oh yeah, for sure. I've always thought that of Marcus's character. A very grounded like even when his girlfriend is spiraling out of control and like telling him that his sperm is not his own yeah um, he remains so calm yeah which I think Angie has a bit of that as well she has that kind of like she's very planted and she kind of has that same like inner glow I feel like which isn't that things don't go wrong because clearly they do Mm -hmm. but yeah, it, it was just going back now, having met Angie as a teenager and seeing Marcus every now and then is like, oh, okay, that's where that comes from. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, and so Tina, rightfully, you know, panics. Has because, a panic attack. Because this woman is just losing her mind, right? She's just losing it. And yeah. she berates her again at her vehicle and just is just saying outrageous things to her about the baby and if she does have it and whatever and so tina calls bet and she leaves her message because bet doesn't answer and you know she's freaked out now granted the two messages that tina leaves bet if i were bet and i got those messages 
I would have probably thought that either like Tina miscarried or she yeah. got into an accident or like something horrible happened. So maybe, I don't know, maybe if Tina would have just like left her message and said something bad happened, but I just need to talk to you. Like, don't come home. I don't know. Maybe she didn't even think that would ever jump back on a plane and get home, but just kind of the way it all went down, it does seem like it's, there's a bigger thing going on back in West Hollywood than yeah. what actually happened. I think it's because she called her literally mid panic attack. Oh, yeah. And something I hadn't thought about before that I was thinking about a lot this time through is that, you know, we talked about it in the episode where she got pregnant. But like, if Tina's been on some kind of anti-anxiety medication for a long time, at 11 weeks, her brain has to be fucking screaming at her at this point. This is very true. She's not acting as rationally as maybe she would have if she were still on that med. And right. not to say that like anxious people aren't rational because they are, but for anyone who has ever had a panic attack, which you know you and I both have, yeah. your mind does jump to the absolute worst case scenario of life. Yeah. Like you or feel like it takes like this thing that is not actually that big a deal and it makes it the literal apocalypse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've, I've been there. Actually, that's, that's typically how it goes. That's typically how a panic attack will start is like one small thing feels like it's detrimental to your life. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, again, and not that not that it makes it less like, I don't know, panic inducing for that. But like, I wonder if T- Tina even realizes, because she says later, like, it must be the hormones. So like, I don't think she's even clocked that maybe her brain is a little funky right now. Yeah. Well, and not to mention, like, it makes sense that what we hear about Tina and her anxiety and just her mental health in general and her meds or whatever is just kind of, it's spoken about, like it's mentioned, but I think it's almost mentioned to just like back then when someone mentions Xanax in an episode, it's not perceived the same way it would be if it were brought up in today's television, right? Because generally folks are more educated on those type of things. So neither Bet nor Tina's mental health issues got a lot of focus in the original series, I felt like, because that just wasn't how TV was back then. Right. Anytime you saw like a woman having a breakdown, it was like the most catastrophic, dramatic, over-the-top thing. But we know that that's not always what panic attacks look like. That's not always what being depressed looks like. Like that, that's not reality. Yeah. And I think it's, it's interesting that you say that because I think it's huge props to both the writers and the actors that you and I can sit here 20 years later and be like, oh, I can see that like they have this mental problem and this mental problem. And like, it's so clear in the text as it is written and performed Mm -hmm. and for it to not be a central focus of the show but to still be so clearly in there that's I think a mark of really good good writing and really good performance and I know that I've been kind of going back and forth because I've been like okay yeah kind of like you said back then Xanax didn't have the same thing so like do I think of Tina as, would Laurel have played Tina as someone with anxiety? 
And then I was thinking about somebody, I don't remember who, posted on Twitter the other day that commentary that Jennifer and Eileen did on the oh, pilot. Yeah. That's uh, They were talking about how Laurel, yeah, works as an actor and how she is like, she thinks about every angle of every scene of every facet of her character. And so I'm like, if anyone would have clocked that and put that into their character, it would have been Laurel. Yeah. So as the episode progresses, the next scene that we see Bet in is at the, is it Mona? <laughs> yes. Because when Tina left the message, she said, you're on your way to Mona. So she's at this yeah. event and I'm almost positive that that's the same, the same location that they shot Jody's big art show in season six. It's got to be the same place. Yeah. It's got to be. I mean, like if you've seen that far ahead, like it's the same place. Yeah. And like Taylor said, Vancouver has like what five places to film at. <laughs> yeah, I said I said this to both to Brittany before we recorded today and on Twitter the other day. Vancouver has like twenty actors, two theaters, one rundown mental hospital that's used when they don't know where else to shoot, and like three other locations, and that's it. Yeah, yeah. The location managers in Vancouver are not very creative. Let's just put it that way. Right. Right. And I mean, what? That was season six, wasn't it? They were like, we haven't used it since season one. It's fine. Yeah, no one's going to catch it except us, like yeah. literally dissecting every scene that Bet and Tina are in. Yeah. No one's going to be watching this 20 years later and be yeah. like, wait a minute. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's the, it's the, is it the provocations? It, well, there's a provocations, like there's a display outside of this venue where she's having the art, where they're, where she's attending the show or event that says provocations. So it's... I did not notice that. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it is... Oh, yeah, because it is, like, touring, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. So, oh, that that kind of makes sense because I bet the New York opening is, like, the opening opening of provocations, like, anywhere. Yeah. As I punch my microphone. <laughs> and... <laughs> And then, like, the CAC is, like, where it's going in California. Yeah. That that makes sense. And actually, a scene that I missed prior to that is when Tina comes home and gets that package from Bet that says... Oh, yeah! Says, baby, I love you to my baby for our baby, or... I think so, yeah. Like that, love B, which is another very sweet moment. So Bet does yes. get a lot of points this this episode I know we can yes. be very hard on her um yeah. but yeah this episode she really nailed it yeah I think the way I put it was this is a good episode you can see where the cracks are yeah yeah and so Bet also did a lot of like work prior which she must have done this work like on her way to the airport maybe early in the morning the next day before she like gets her day started, but basically like calls all of their friends and says like, check in on Tina, you know, come and see Tina. They, one of them brings her dinner, things like that. So that was very kind. And it, it's clear to see that it makes Tina very happy. Like she's smiling, listening to all the messages. They all end up coming over. Tina leaves Bet another message, basically saying the exact line she says is I'm really desperate. Something terrible mm. has happened. 
which again, which again, if I got that message, I would be pretty freaked out too. Yeah. Like you understand <laughs> why Bet flew home. Like Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So the Dana and Laura are the first ones to get there. And that's when Tina has gotten all these messages from the girlfriend of Marcus, you know, yeah. just, just a mess. So the, Tina's very concerned that maybe she's going to show up at her house, which again, rightfully. Yeah, so, she has the curtain like half drawn so she can like peek out and yeah. try to see who it is. Yeah. Yeah. But she's being harassed and they help her lock down the place and make sure that she's safe. And they all spend the night, which again is very kind. And they have that conversation when they're playing cards, again, where they're honing in on Alice being with Lisa, which again, back to my original point is like, the questions that this, this group of friends <laughs> asks I don't understand yeah like I mean okay even from my perspective a lesbian identifying man is still weird it's weird mm-hmm. but like if they're both happy who gives a shit well and I also think that like again the series 20 years ago when it was filmed you know it's clear that they were they made Lisa's character as like a funny point as comedy right because they always are giving her a hard time about it they're making light of it they're doing all these things which in reality present day that would be considered very homophobic it was homophobic back then but even so now i think we we all maybe could see it from a different lens so you would hope that if there were a situation like this present day that i think i think that uh, Marjo probably do a better job of making sure yeah. that it was represented in a more positive light and not like a yeah it's just weird because like they make a point of saying that he's not trans yeah which is like Laura even asks like is that like being a transsexual and they're like no it's different and like I don't know if that's the characters being transphobic or the show thinking it's being I don't know what it is but like it's not even like Max where they intentionally wrote him as trans but still fucked it up yeah they were like no he's not trans he just identifies as a lesbian right I don't I don't know this is one of those things that it's looking at the original series you have to be like it's an artifact of its time sure well and that's the thing right is that again 20 years ago there was clearly not enough information out there about like how this would actually look in real life right if there was a man identifying as a lesbian how would that look and so they used it as like this point of humor and it just i don't even know it just didn't well when it was kind of you know what i am just now realizing they managed to be transphobic and biphobic at the same time uh-huh. because like that was one half of the joke and then the other half of the joke was Alice got like a man and a woman at the same time yep yep good job L word you nailed it they really know how to make a uh, bisexual people just feel a certain type of way don't they they sure do <laughs> one thing a couple of details that I really like from that whole series of everything when Dana and Lara are the only ones there and they're like closing the shades and they're like being really obviously flirty with each other because they're mm-hmm. still in their honeymoon phase. Tina gives them this look and the 
subtext to that I wrote. I have no idea if this was the subtext that Laurel was playing, but what I got from that look was, oh, is this how Bet and I were at the beginning? Oh, right. Yeah. Could have been. Like, it, it was just kind of like this cute, kind of curious, confused, realizing look. It was just... Right. I mean, and we we do get a glimpse into Tina and Bet when they first meet. We do, you know, when they're at Dinosaur, we get that yeah. flashback. But it would have been so cool to see them, like, how they were in their first few dates or, like, as a brand new couple. Like, yeah. were they like Dana and Laura? Because we just don't really know a lot but about what happened between when they first started dating. Besides the fact that, like, they traveled a lot, but had her move in fairly quickly things like that, but then not a whole lot about like what their emotional state was. So. Yeah. I mean, I could see them being like that. Yeah, me too. You know, like, I mean, I think Tina would be kind of bashful about it because she wasn't used to dating women at all. But like, oh yeah, yeah, I think I could see them being that kind of lovey-dovey, like, okay, we get it, you guys, you're sickeningly in love, like... I mean, I could, I could also see them being just like really intense pretty quickly, Yeah. especially because of like how much power and emotion was in that scene where they meet. Yeah. Um, yeah. I could well, and they're both that. very passionate people who care very deeply about things. So when they have someone or something that they love, they really, yeah. you know, they're, they're dedicated to that. So yeah. So Bet is at this provocation show. Wait, wait, wait. Oh. real quick before we get there. Uh-huh. Well, I don't I don't know if I'm jumping ahead or not, but other thing in the sleepover thing. Kit calling Tina Bet's wife. Yeah, I have a note on that. Yep. Yep. Very like sweet. the fact that that was actually said by anyone, never mind Bet's sister. Yeah, I love that. I in like the what seventh episode yep i know we were just giving you shit two seconds ago show but that was actually a good thing that was a good one yep yeah so bet is um at this provocation show in new york she's it's all a buzz like you can one of the things i picked up on as i was watching this time was that like there's all these we're led to believe and what we do find out is like everybody's talking about that porter and how she you know, got this show and it's a big deal and blah, blah, blah. And after she leaves the show, that's when she gets those messages from Tina. And we were talking about this before we started recording that like, it's such a reflection of the times that Bet talked to Roger, who was Kit's boyfriend at the time. Yeah. And, and tried to call the their- fact you know his name is so funny to me. Well, because she says like, Roger, did, did Kit say what the oh, emergency was about? So- so she calls the landline and she can't get through but like present day if you couldn't get a hold of someone first of all there'd be no landline to call (laughs) and second of all you would find like you would be able to get in touch with them so it's just present day that would have gone down a lot differently and yeah you'd like text them or you'd like call a friend and be like hey will you (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah yeah so everybody spends the night with tina and then the next morning, talk about that a little bit because you were talking about like what you picked up on with that scene when she's trying to get in touch with Bet. When Tina's trying to get in touch with Bet, bold of you to <laughs> think I remember what I said. Oh, like 
okay we'll get actually we'll get back to that marcus shows up at tina's house in the morning yeah yes tina and bets and and he's very apologetic about his girlfriend you know going ballistic on tina i also love that everybody slept on the floor but tina still slept in her room right like when she walks out she walks out from their bedroom and i'm like you know what good for you tina like right you're pregnant you don't need to be sleeping on the floor it's mm-hmm. fine but yeah so she comes out and marcus very knowing that tina's probably thinking oh god what if it's that crazy bitch is like it's marcus open the door like, yep yep he knows yeah and Tina starts trying to reach Bet because the phone was unplugged and yeah. because the girlfriend was calling, you know, excessively and harassing her. Bet, in the meantime, had to cancel this dinner that was going to be done in her honor. So she, we yeah. see her going back to the airport and she's very worried about what's happening with Tina. Lo and behold, Tina then plugs the phone back in. She gets Bet's messages and then she calls the hotel and but she there. Bet's messages, I think, didn't the girlfriend take up all the space on the answer? Oh, machine? you're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Oh, he oh, was... okay. This is the thing you were talking about, right? Yeah. 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 That, yeah. that this is when, yeah. So she thinks Bet didn't call because there's no messages on the answering machine because it was full. Yep. And so she like very sadly goes like, Bet didn't call. Yep. And so she tries to call her again because bet porter is a very modern woman and does have a cell phone even though it's 2004 and uh she doesn't pick up and yeah then tina calls the hotel and is like you know like can i talk to bet porter and she finds out she checked out and when she finds that out that's when she's like oh my god like where could she have gone she had to have slept somewhere and the dread of like where did she sleep and who is she sleeping with mm-hmm. kind and of it, hits her well and you know as we said as we talked about there's that in the description of this episode at least from the hulu perspective probably on showtime too the first line in this description of this particular episode says bet's commitment is tested which is such a weird place to put that description <laughs> like yeah. If I could put it in any description of any of the episodes in this particular season, this would it not, would not be this one. Yeah, but you do raise a good point that, like, y- y- maybe she was concerned. Maybe she, you know, as a as a woman who is pregnant, freshly had a panic attack, unable to reach her partner, you know, your mind can race. And in her mind, maybe not only was she like, who is she with? But, like, is this why she told me not to come you know, different questions like that might have immediately come to her mind and had her worried. Yeah. Well, and also from her perspective, like she's probably assuming Bet got her messages and just went fuck it and didn't yeah. call her back. Yeah. It's all like an unfortunate series of events. But when Bet does show up to the house, she said, you know, everything Tina's like assuring her, like, everything's fine. And she's like, Well, I I was so worried, like, I didn't know what happened. And then <laughs> Tina's like, so you flew all the way home? Like, it's so romantic. And Bet is just like, I was worried. And she looks like she could have just, like, decked Tina in that moment. Which Yeah, Bet was ready to cut a bitch yes. <laughs> for a hot second there. Like, which, like, I get it. And to her immense credit, 
she does kind of rein it in and be like, you know what? But fuck it. It doesn't matter. Sure. I'm just glad you're okay. Yep. But yeah, for a hot second there, she's like, wait, I came home for this. Yeah. I could well, be getting the CAC so much money right now, Tina. Right. Well, which, which again is reflective of the times because like if I was panicking and I couldn't reach my husband and I was trying and trying and trying, like I think eventually it probably would have got to a point where I just texted him what was going on, like what the emergency was, but there wasn't really texting back then. So again, series of unfortunate events, which led to Bet coming home early and missing this dinner that was going to be in her honor. But nonetheless, I think Bet did the right thing by coming home and checking to make sure she was okay. And they have a very sweet woman where they're sitting on the chair together when everything kind of calms down and she kisses her on the forehead, which also just a fact from Louisa, who is an, another Tibet fan um, in the circle. She, she noted that- You make us sound like a coven of witches, Brittany. We are. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Okay, I mean, to yeah. Some, to I some take respect, this ass back. We are. Yeah. So she made a point- earlier this weekend or a couple days ago where she said that I believe the number is of the 27 kisses that Tina and Bet have in season one, Bet initiates 25 of them. Bet. And my response to her was that's the only math I'm interested in, to be <laughs> honest. Yeah. Yeah. Which again, when we talk about technicality and things like this, yep. Ponder this, out of the 27 times Bet and Tina kiss in season one, Bet initiates 25 of the kisses. So thank you so much to all the people in this fandom that do the work like that, because it is never anything I would remotely even think to study about these characters. Do I know, though, that there's nine sex scenes that they share? Yes, I do know that. How long had I known you when, was it like a day like five minutes yeah when I that was one of the like first I think it was like the first private like DM conversation I had with you was I was counting how many shots there were in each of the sex scenes and then trying to figure out how many takes they would have had to do yeah and I think the number ended up being like to, was it like 200 something that we calculated that something would like have that. been yeah probably would have been like they probably did about 200 takes across the board with all their sex scenes from for the all mine, series yeah. which is yeah. I mean, it's no wonder that they know how to put in such a good sex scene because they they had a lot of practice yeah yeah so that is that is uh season one episode seven losing it and uh we're gonna start heading into the dark times Real quick. They are on the cusp. So we announced in our last episode that we have another L Word After Dark coming up. So for those who would like to join us, our friend Ash Silver runs a fantastic L Word focused YouTube channel. And uh, a little while back um, with her and a couple other folks in the fandom, the L Word Online, which was the first ever L Word website from way back in the day. These two particular gals are really interesting because they have just a plethora of stories from like that era of time in the early 2000s when it first aired. Which like they before shared. social media was a thing? Yeah. So they had to use like this website and message boards to like talk about the show. And they did. So L Word Online 
Bet and Tina House of Stir Fryer from Julesy. And then also, I think this time, Selena's coming. Yay! The L Word 19. I hope that she'll join us. That will be coming up in a couple of weeks. May 21st, which is a Friday. It's a, it's a Friday if you're in one of our time zones. It's a Saturday if you're in Europe or East. Yeah. So we'll put some more details up about that on social media. Please join us if you can. Last time was super fun. There was one other thing I wanted to talk about. It's gone. I'd remind you if you told me what it was, but you didn't. So I I was going somewhere with that. At least I thought I was. Was it a podcast related thing? Yeah, I think it was. Oh, yes, it is. Early on in the podcast, we had announced on social media that we were looking to interview OG fans. And what we mean by that is like fans that watched the L word back when it was airing live 2004 to 2009, or at least like in the earlier era. Cause we do have one person that's coming on who like watched the whole series in 2011, but before Gen Q was even a thought. And the whole premise of this is to kind of talk about what the experience as a fan, as one of the original fans is now that Gen Q is here and Tina and Beth are divorced present day. And like, what that's like. So we have some folks that have expressed interest on Twitter, but if you are one of those fans, let us know. We will be putting together the details of those episodes. They're forthcoming. And we also yes. will be doing an episode with the newer Gen Q fans um, that will come you know, down the line. Yes. Uh, just because I think, I mean, obviously Brittany and I both think, or we wouldn't be doing these episodes, that one of the cool things about the L Word fandom is that it is intergenerational yes. and that sort of both sides of the equation have different perspectives and different experiences. And that is something that with our, our platform meager though it might be, we would like to support and broadcast. So yes, please let us know if you would like to be involved. We will give you details as we iron them out and if for some reason we do not, please do not take it personally. It's just that Zoom only lets you talk to so many people. And yeah, we very well might need to do like a two-parter. Yeah. You know, it's not if, if we if we can't get to you this time, it's not to say that we won't in the future. But if yes. you do have interest, it's, I think it's right more now- to say that Taylor has a hard enough time editing her and Brittany. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I think that I think the idea would be that we'd bring everybody on at once to avoid the headache of having to edit five different interviews that would be yeah that would not be uh, ideal and I just a thank you to everybody that does follow along on social media and twitter and it, it has just given such you know great feedback to us we're always open to hear it it keeps <laughs> us going honestly on, it, honestly it does because you know one of the things that i recognized just in the last several weeks is that like I kind of miss that like initial feeling because oftentimes the people that we hear from are newer to pet fans. Um, mm-hmm. what, what is what I've noticed. Like they just got into the show and they happen to find our podcast on social media. And I love the enthusiasm because it reminds me of, it wasn't that long ago. It was just last year, but like, I remember being like a new L word and Tibet fan and like having all of this energy to like, want to learn everything about them and learn everything about Jennifer and Laurel. So like, We'll get messages, let's say like, what article were you referencing or what interview were you referencing? And like, that's pretty cool because, you know, we're in the middle of 
seasons right now. Like we have been getting more content from them, but like it can be hard to stay like an enthusiastic Tibet fan when there's not a ton going on that we know of. And like, we're so, we're still very much in the dark. Who knows what's to come in season two? Like, obviously we have our hopes and dreams, but like it could all go south for all we know. So like, yep, that's part of the reason why we do this podcast, but we really love talking with all of you and, and just thanks. Thanks for, thanks for being here. Thanks for supporting us. Yeah. (laughs) What Brittany said. (laughs) So this has been episode 10 of all things about podcast. I'm Brittany. I'm Taylor. And we'll see you next week. episode of all things tibet podcast hosted by taylor and Brittany. at this time we do not have any sponsorships but if you're interested in sponsoring us please send us an email at all things tibet at gmail.com we can be found on instagram twitter and facebook under all things tibet podcast and you can check out our main podcast profile at anchor.fm slash all things tibet We post new episodes every Tuesday and we send all of our love to the Tibet fandom for their support during this time as we get this brand new podcast off the ground. We will see you next week.